Welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and people driving decentralization and the blockchain revolution. I'm Sebastian Quitio, and I'm here with my co-host, Brian Crane. Today, we're speaking with Zaki Manian, co-founder of Occlusion, and Ethan Buckman, co-founder of Cosmos and head accountant at Informal. Uh, no, he's the CEO of Informal, but uh, based on how he's dressed, he could be the HR manager. We'll be talking about Adam 2.0 and diving deep into uh, this topic, which I mean, I feel like I've been just talking about for the last three weeks nonstop on like podcasts and Twitter spaces and everywhere. Uh, but hopefully we get to the bottom of it today. Before we talk to Zachy and Ethan about the Adam 2.0 white paper and some of the recent changes there, I'd first like to tell you about our sponsor this week, and that is Tally Ho. And Tally Ho is an open source wallet redefining the wallet as a public good. With Tally Ho, you can safely connect to DeFi and Web3 with everything you need from MetaMask plus a lot more. You can view your NFTs in a wallet, in the wallet, across Ethereum, Polygon, Optimism, and Arbitrum. There's also no need to manually add these networks as they are already plugged into TallyHo. TallyHo is the, the, the best ledger support around and built a community of developers that listen to users. You can swap between assets in wallet at a fraction of the price and conveniently view all of your account balances across multiple networks with their new and improved portfolio type. Uh, over 100,000 people signed up to their community pledge. It's a letter to the Web3 community orchestrating their commitment to building a wallet that is accessible for everyone, radically transparent, and fully community-owned. Tallyho isn't just building a wallet that works. Tallyho is building a Web3 wallet that you can believe in. It's time to defend Web3. Visit tally.cash, sign the pledge, and download the wallet. Also, we're hiring. We're looking for a community manager to help grow our audience and take Epicenter to the next level. If you're passionate about crypto and creating great content, we want to hear from you. Full details can be found at careers.chorus.one slash O slash Epicenter dash community dash manager. That's a bit of a mouthful. We'll put that in the show notes. And uh, please share this with anyone you think might be a good fit for this position. So thank you for joining us, guys, uh, for this very important conversation about Adam 2.0. Yeah, give us a bit of a give us the arch of how this how we got here. You know, Adam 2.0 was announced at Cosmoverse, I guess now three weeks ago. What's happened since then, and did it go as you expected? I mean, I think the main the main goal was to kick off a vigorous conversation about our Adam's political economy, and I think that has clearly been achieved. This is the most you know vigorous uh, set of discussions we've 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 seen to date, and it's it's, it's quite delightful. Um, to actually see all that and and uh you know to see the the passion and enthusiasm about about the project and there were some very bold uh you know offers let's say in in the paper um and so there's you know um rightly so there's uh, that's kicked off a lot of discussion some controversy you know there's there's going to need to be changes but um you know we wanted we wanted to kick this thing off with a bang um and put out a really strong vision for what the future of the cosmos hub could look like and that should include some you know, potentially large controversial, um, controversial changes that might need to get worked out. And so uh, I think we're really excited about the level of engagement we've seen. And, you know, there's work now on a charter, there's a lot of discussions around, um, you know, how we, uh, how we're going to do governance moving forward and all this stuff. And so, you know, at, at, at Cosmoverse, I sort of talked about how there's these sort of three big phases of Cosmos, you know, start with this initiation phase, which we completed, which started with a white paper, which we shipped in completion, right? And now we're moving into the integration phase. And this has its own white paper for the hub, but, you know, there's there's a lot more to it. And it's really about upgrading the overall political economy of the, the interchain ecosystem of the Cosmos hub. And 
Um, and, and that process is, is kicking off now. So, uh, you know, this podcast and all the other discussions are, are kind of a big part of that. So, yeah. And what's the, what's the phase three? Phase three, I call the illumination phase where we're all finally awakened to, uh, you know, the reality of the payments graph and, 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 and crypto finally has its impact on the world. And we can break out of our, you know, speculative crypto bubbles and actually, uh, you know, meaningfully, uh, restructure the global monetary system. So, <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I'll have to be wearing, uh, you know, I might need a different tie for that. You're going to need a three-piece suit for that one. Buddy. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, that'll, <laughs> be, that'll be the tux. Maybe one thing we can also, uh, I think, make sense to ask about at this point. So we have this white paper, right? And there's a lot of authors on there. There's like 10 people. And then I think there's like, you know, other people that were involved in some way that, you know, aren't even on there. So can you talk a bit about like what... First of all, what was the goal of this white paper and what was the process of writing this white paper? Okay, so maybe I can I can come at the at, at two things. One the the goal of this white paper is to tr- is to let out a vision from that basically takes I think there is a group of people who work on Cosmos who feel like the Cosmos hub has been abandoned. Um that was like a, it was a, it was just collectively abandoned um, over the last uh, few years. It did not have uh, any strong vision. Everyone, uh, so many people who used to work on you know Adam and the Cosmos Hub uh, started their own chains. You know you have this vast post all in bits diaspora. You certainly had a team at the Interchain Foundation, but they their mandate was much more like maintenance um, and following a relatively conservative roadmap. Um, not, you know, change what Adam is, change what Adam means, all of this stuff. Uh, what, what, like the whole, you know, the whole political economy about Adam, lay out an ambitious roadmap, try to, try to even imagine what Adam would look like as like a top, top 10 crypto asset, what Adam looks like as a driving force for change for like all of like, uh, uh, like economics generally, like how do we, so, so there's like just sort of this abandonment and lack of ambition that was like pervading the Cosmos hub as a culture, also the political economy of the Cosmos hub was this never ending um, sort of back and forth between all in bits and the ICF over who is supposed to even be involved in charge of this thing with neither party really wanting to be in charge. Um, and so like that was, that's kind of the, the framework. The framework was break out of that cycle. The second component of it was, so then what was the process like? The process was like in sort of, I would say, so, you know, the liquid staking work that Occlusion has been working on has been going on since 2021. Um, it took quite a bit, it, it, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a slow burn to bring, um, to figure out how to make liquid staking. And it, it, liquid staking always seemed like a very important primitive um, because of the fact that we don't want to have DeFi on the hub. We needed to figure out, uh, uh, like liquid staking is a very natural a solution to the problem of um, how do we get out of an exponential issuance regime? And if you're as long as you're locked into the exponential issuance regime, like your ability to change anything else uh, is very limited, right? Like the the potential capabilities of the hub. So we we had this like sort of long term uh, thing where like the occlusion co-founders, me, Christy, Tony, Shella, uh, a team at occlusion, have been like diligently pushing forward liquid staking. Um, because of the fact that it unlocks a lot of other possibilities. But the other thing that we saw during the sort of, uh, you know, 2021 
uh, cycle is we saw a lot of new economic, crypto economic experiments. We saw MEV become go from being like a thing that people have been in the cosmos community have been hypothesizing about since 2015 and 2016, becoming like an actual industry. Um, we saw like, um, you know, Sonny was tweeting about, um, and like Sonny and me and Tarun had like DMs about, you know, how fascinating the like Olympus Dow mechanism was. Um, and all of these things kind of got sort of eventually started to come together as a set of building blocks. Um, and then an R&D effort was kicked off with many, many people, uh, so many of whom are authors, but many more uh, people are not authors. We also, you know, we like... Uh, uh, Christy and myself, we invested in Mechatech, we invested in Skip, we were talking to all of the MEV people, I spent a lot of time with the Flashbots people, there's this like whole research effort that like was just kind of uh, many p- different people, I met Max, who, want, who you know, really uh, turned the allocator from being just like a, a set of bullet points for a long time, I met him at the hallways of Osbergon, and Max and Sam were able to like work together to turn the allocator into a, like a fully fleshed out idea or at least a partially fleshed out idea. You know, the idea of, uh, you know, Jahan and the, and like the informal ICS team became like big contributors to the idea of the scheduler. Sam also was a huge driver of the, the scheduler idea, but we all talked to uh, our, our friends at Skip and Mechatech extensively. So like there's just this whole sort of somewhat organic community-driven R&D effort to try and bring all these pieces together. And then we decided to set ourselves a hard deadline of having something big to announce at Cosmoverse. Um, and uh, and we were able to get a draft of the white paper out by then and uh, kick off this conversation. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that stands out regarding the white paper. It's just there's a lot in there, right? There's a lot of different uh, you know things that have been worked on and, uh, you know, on, on new things, right? So some things I think are like reasonably well-known and some things I think were very new. So I think maybe what makes sense is we can talk a little bit about some of those changes that, uh, you know, either are like coming and in works or that are, you know, are being proposed here and and then talk, you know, then maybe step it, take a step back, talk also about governance, this entire process and Maybe, but I, I would say let's start with interchange security. I think interchange security is something we've actually never talked about uh, on this podcast. Uh, I think in the Cosmos community, it's like reasonably well known, but uh, I think it, it, I wouldn't say it's something that's well known in the larger crypto community. So, like, what's interchange security, and what is the role that interchange security will play in Cosmos in the future? Uh, so, if you don't mind, just before we go and in, we go into interchange security, just to, just to add a, a little bit more framing um, to the structure of the white paper, and you know, and why we would jump right into inter- interchange security, at a high level, you know, the white paper is really putting forth like like three key pieces um, that uh, of like how to think about the future of the hub. Right. The first is that there's a new secure economic scaling layer that includes interchange security and liquid staking, right? And it proposes that interchange security is the way to build new functionality for the hub and liquid staking is the way to extend uh, the, the economic zone of the Cosmos hub, like Sir Zaki was, was referring to before, right? And, and, and you know, uh, Occlusion did all this work on, on liquid staking and Formal did all this work on interchange security to set this foundation for how we could extend the sort of economic reality um, of the hub. So that's, that's the base layer, right? And, and in some sense, the, the, the 
everyone kind of knew or was supportive of, of, of these two kind of key features. But then the question the paper wanted to answer is, well, how do we build an actual product out of this and, and, and a vision for the hub that is built on top of this new secure economic base layer? And so, you know, the next sort of key piece of the paper is that, okay, we can create an economic flywheel uh, on top of these two things, using uh, you know these new proposals of the interchain scheduler and, and the interchain allocator, which we can obviously get into um, in a lot more in a lot more detail later on. And then in order you know in order to make all of this work, it's going to require basically a new governance system and and treasury to oversee development and and to facilitate um, the sort of on chain on chain coordination. So those are really the, the three pieces: secure economic scaling, um, the economic flywheel with the scheduler and the allocator, and then the governance and the treasury. And you know they're being proposed as an integrated whole because the idea is that we kind of need all of this to, to put forward a new um, a new vision for the hub, right? So, so that that's the kind of higher level higher level framing, and then we, we could start going through you know all all the different um, all the different pieces. And so, starting with interchain security, the crux of interchain security, you know, just just base layer is uh, you know we want the hub to be a, a, a simple, minimalistic, low surface area, high security. Uh, trusted, reliable place to custody assets to you know enter the the ecosystem to integrate against um, and 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 so on and that requires a particular uh, kind of care around its software development lifecycle and because there isn't a virtual machine on the hub and there's general uh, you know agreement that there that there ought not to be a virtual machine on the hub the the idea is that the proper way to extend the functionality of the hub is to follow you know standard good software development principles of modularity you know and build things. Um, you know, in separate modular components. And because we have IBC, because we have the power of, of Tendermint and all this amazing stuff, we can actually build additional functionality for the hub as separate blockchains where the validators are the same as the validators for the Cosmos hub, right? And that's the sort of core base idea of interchain security is it's a way to extend the functionality of the Cosmos hub by spinning up new blockchains that that inherit the same uh, the same validator set, right? And that, that can resolve a lot of, you know, tensions we've seen in the past over governance proposals. Some new feature wants to be developed. Someone wants to ship, you know, Cosmos into the hub or something like that. There, there's, you know, uh, a, a big contentious vote and uh, there's a lot of concerns around around the security, what kind of service area this would open up on the hub and, 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 and so on. And so interchain security allows us to preserve the minimalism of the core hub while still allowing the functionality to expand around the hub um, using you know all the protocols and all the all the pieces we've already built in this sort of bottom up way, right? And so while we see many other projects in the ecosystem pursuing um, shared security solutions and sharding and all these kinds of things in, in sort of a top down way, you know we built IBC. It was it, IBC is a general purpose communication protocol for you know arbitrary state machines essentially. Um, and it was always sort of uh, known that on top of IBC, in a more bottom-up way, we would build these more complex uh, cross-chain protocols, one obvious one being interchain security, where you can simply inherit the validator set from another chain. Um, so that's the, that's the sort of high-level high level initial framing. Of course, you can do a lot more with interchain security. It can become a vehicle for other chains that aren't just trying to extend the functionality of the hub per se, but are you know looking for a secure validator set to launch an application and will maybe spin out into a sovereign chain over time or existing sovereign chains want to spin in and sort of join the economic zone around, around the Cosmos hub. There's a lot more uh, sort of um, political economics that can, that can play out once you have this feature of, of interchain security, but it's really a, a, a sort of base functionality that enables the, the economic economic zone around the hub uh, to start to expand. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you, you brought it up, right? Because I, f- I feel like that that's one point where it's maybe a little bit confusing, sort of, you know, what what is the main vision for interchain security in the future, right? Because one is, okay, 
there's a hub and you know there's this idea oh let's put cosmos on the hub and then there was resistance and it's like okay let's put it in this separate chain that's still secured by the cosmos hub by atoms you know but it's kind of decoupled so it's it's a sort of like maybe good compromise and, and you can imagine like different types of things where like okay the hub says we want to have additional functionality and we put it there but then the other thing is this okay we, we, you just have some some chain and they don't want to run their own validator set right and they want to use the validator set of the cosmos hub and then they're kind of like buying basically not that dissimilar from something like in Polkadot, right where parachain basically leases this slot and then gets this validator set and you know this security and processing of transactions so how do you see this in the future do you think this there's going to be you're going to evolve into you know some marketplace where you know like lots of new chains can come and kind of bid for places or so first thing i would say is empirically i was wrong about interchain security i was wrong in a couple of different ways so one was so like the reason i supported prop 69 was i thought that the demand for interchain like interchain security was going to be low for sort of external teams that we wouldn't actually be able to grow the developer base of the cosmos hub so we would just end up in a situation where you had like the same cosmos hub team supporting like 15 chains to for each fe- like for features that we wanted on the cosmos hub um instead of uh and so that was kind of a little bit of like why i thought prop 69 was a good what good thing and i was completely wrong about this um empirically like we have attracted an enormous and expanding set of builders um, into the Cosmos Hub ecosystem through the feature of interchain security. Like I was completely wrong about it empirically. Uh, you know, just from talking to all of these this entire universe of potential users, there's an enormous amount of latent demand uh, for interchain security's product. Uh, people are very excited about it, and that is a huge factor in how we are have how we have started you know and and basically going through the sales cycle like i think the sales cycle of actually trying to convince projects to to join inter, to use interchain security like kicked off seriously um maybe in the spring of 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 2020 uh of this year yeah and so when we when we kicked that off Initially, I don't think it was going. It was it, it was going about as badly as I was expecting, and then we just started hitting user after user after user, and it has just been so that that like really reshaped. That was a huge influence on the white paper because it said, "Hey, like we really do see signs of product market fit here with interchain security. We should design the white paper to like to like you know push down on the gas and go." go as fast as we can. And like, essentially this become, you know, in some senses, like we're investing in the growth of interchain security because we have such strong signal of product market fit. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say I was, uh, I was somewhat um, uncertain about the product market fit of, of interchain security for other chains. What I was confident in, and, you know, and the reason I didn't support prop 69 at the time was because it, it certainly, I always felt that the interchain security was the right way to sort of offload the risk um, of of developing the hub and you know have the hub be able to serve as this sort of stable mature kind of um, minimalistic anchor where you could extend the function right so you could extend the functionality with interchain security so even if there wasn't the sort of demand from other chains to use it there was still a base case just from a you know better software development lifecycle 
kind of long-term um, development of these systems that made interchain security make sense just as a way to expand the hub and, and expand the teams of the hub, right? And, and once once Formal sort of got building interchain security and we had something real that people could actually start to believe, oh, this is really coming soon, you know, then we started going to market and we started to see, you know, maybe somewhat to our surprise, somewhat, some people thought it would be, you know, in high demand, others were, were kind of less sure. Um, there, there seems to be a huge amount of demand for it. And, and, and that's going to, that's going to change over, over time. We don't know exactly how it's going to change over time. Um, we think we could build out a very healthy economy around the Cosmos hub. And, and, and that's part of, like Zucky was saying, part of the motivation, um, for the paper was to kind of build on that, on, on what appears to be, you know, strong product market fit for, for interchain security. But even without it, you know, you have to keep in mind that there's still this base case of this is the right way to extend the functionality of the hub from a pure, like sound software development, uh, kind of principles perspective. And, and one of the things we are trying to achieve is to transform the way software is built and deployed, right? In, in the long term. And that's something Cosmos has been working on for a long time. That's like part of, you know, informal systems mission statement. Um, and, and that's something we're doing. I mean, the way, the way people are building blockchains today is, you know, unlike anything they were doing, um, five years ago. And we hope that's going to, you know, continue to have an impact on, on the wider software development community. And, and, you know, we're trying to prove that out with these new, you know, these new ways of building on the internet of blockchain. So. One of the things that I find interesting about interchain security, I don't know if this is still in the roadmap, but it's these different versions that have been uh, kind of laid out for how interchain security will uh, will roll out. So the the first version, I believe, is this where a, a chain that's on interchain security inherits the entire validator set. And then there's a second version where they can in- inherit a partial validator set or more like an opt-in um, um, in relationship with validators. And then there's a there's a third version where they can have part part of their validator set be the interchain security uh, set, so like the the set that's securing the Cosmos Hub, and then they can also onboard their own validators externally, right? So if another validator that's not on the Cosmos Hub and part of the interchain security set, that validator could also onboard and, and be part of that chain security. When I first heard this, I thought there's a logical version four, and that version four is where like chains are just validating each other and this this idea has been put forth recently you know by sunny and and the osmosis team and you know their their vision for how we arrive at um say a a more interconnected interchain is through this mesh security model and i i wonder you know i'd like to confront maybe with this like this this mesh security idea that does interchain security at some point um become uh, more of a mesh uh, in, rather than this more like hub and spoke model that I think the hub has been carrying for like a long time and, and is seems to be carrying in, in these different versions or at least in this this vision that's been laid out that, that does it arrive at, at at where you know everything's just validating and securing each other at some point uh, to some extent, I mean, you know, if you look back at the at the original at the original Cosmos Hub white paper, yes, it's proposing a hub and spoke model, but it's not just proposing one hub, right? It's it's proposing a multiplicity of hubs, and it's saying we're going to start with you know we're going to build one hub, but there ought to be others, and 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 that's in the paper. And so, in in some sense, the 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 topology of the Cosmos network and you know what we now call the interchain was always left open and was always expected to be a mesh, right? It's not just a pure hub and spoke model. But if you look at any any uh, you know network in the real world, they tend to have kind of power law scaling. They tend to have nodes that are more you know well connected than others. They don't have singular hubs, but they do have you know it's not like a pure hub and spoke, but it, there are you know, nodes in the network that are considered more hub-like than, than others. And, and, you know, the, being a hub is sort of a fractal pattern. You can look at airports and, um, and, and, and things like this as an example. And, and so again, that's always been sort of part of the, 
uh, idea of how the, the interchain would emerge, that we would build this permissionless communications protocol, topology would, would, would sort of emerge emerge from it. And there are many ways to, to share security over the interchain and to have different chains sort of participate in each other's um, security budget. You know, uh, like you've sort of articulated here, there's, there's uh, interchain security V1, which you can at the very least think about, you know, just as a way for the hub to extend its own functionality. Uh, there's the fabled V2 and V3, you know, which you were referring to. And then and then there's this, you know, V4, I guess you could call mesh security, if, um, if you like. I don't know if they like calling it calling it V4. It's also a very interesting idea. But there's much there's much more too, right? There's, there's other ways to kind of share security across the interchain. There's now ideas around um, heterogeneous tendermint, right? Where you can basically, this is something we've talked about for a few years now, especially with the, uh, as well with the Anoma team, where um, you can leverage overlap that exists uh, between the validator sets to get stronger guarantees out of the consensus and out of the ordering and, and, and so on. And, and mesh security is sort of a start at that, but it's really just about, you know, uh, uh, some slashing and, you know, it doesn't really do much for um, transaction ordering, whereas we could do a lot more. So yeah. it's certainly always been the vision for, for this interchain to be a mesh, the same way the internet is a mesh. Uh, but like any mesh in nature, there you know there there will tend to be some kind of power law scaling. There will be um, there will be nodes within the mesh that are more more hub like, and 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 the Cosmos hub through its um, you know through its mission to be a, a stable sort of anchor in this thrashing sea intends to be one of those hubs. Not the only hub, maybe not even uh, the biggest hub in in in, in the long term, but but uh, at least you know I would hope the longest standing hub, and 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 that's what's important to me is that kind of um, that kind of long termism. If you think of the, I mean, of course, one of the challenges, at least with this initial version of shared or interchain security is that, you know, if you're running a validator on the hub, now you're also going to have to run, you know, this other client, right, for this other chain. And so sort of like, you know, your demands increase a bit. Now, maybe that's like not that bad. But then if you imagine, you know, 100 chains, then like complexity grows a lot. So I'm curious, like, what's the you know, like how, how much does this scale? Like, yeah, I mean, there's, um, there's a lot of work happening to start thinking about, um, how to make it scale more. Right. And so we can imagine, I mean, validators today, you know, there's some validators that are running a dozen chains, dozens of chains. There's a lot of work now going into, into Tendermint and the SDK to make them just more vertically scalable. There's, you know, optimizations kind of all over the place that, that, that we can be doing. Um, to improve things. And then there are some, um, you know, there is some research going on directly in at the interchain security level of how we can make that that more scalable. Um, and, and so there is a lot of opportunity there to, to improve the scalability. But, you know, it's funny because the Cosmos, the Cosmos vision and, and approach is always the same. It's like, do the simple thing that works, um, you know, that will likely that will likely have product market fit and, and unlock new opportunities. And then things you 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 didn't really know before will emerge to solve your scalability problems. Right. And, and, you know, as we did that with application specific blockchains, everyone's like, how's this going to scale? And, you know, no one's asking that question anymore. Um, but now we have things like rollups and all, all this other, you know, ZK proofs and stuff to, to help things scale. So we're doing a sort of similar thing with interchain security. It's like, let's do the simplest basic thing, building on top of IBC that, it, you know, allows us to extend functionality in a secure way. And, and, and we're sort we'll sort of, you know, be able to take care of scalability uh, in, in, in the longer term with all the R and D that's happening within our teams, around our teams and so on. So. Moving on here to uh, another component of Atom 2.0, and that's liquid staking. And so, uh, you know, if we look at, you know, liquid staking is this mechanism by which one can uh, leverage their staked assets uh, in in DeFi and other like financial um, activities. And so the idea is that you solve the staker's dilemma by allowing staked assets to become liquid, or at least some derivative of that staked asset to be liquid. And liquid staking has been, 
um, you know, tried and tested in Ethereum with like platforms like Lido, also like in Solana and, and, and lots of other chains. In Cosmos, we've been talking about liquid staking for a while, and there's a number of participants like companies and startups in this space that are building liquid staking solutions. So Stride is one of them. Uh, P-Stake was early to this uh, market as well. Quicksilver, of course. What does the Cosmos implementation of liquid staking have that's unique? And what are the characteristics of the, the Cosmos ecosystem as this kind of grouping of layer ones have that, that makes the implementation unique compared to something like Ethereum where you have one layer one and, and, and basically everyone's staking on the same, on the same chain. Yeah. Okay. So inclusion has been working, um, has been sort of spearheading the, the liquid staking. Well, what we've been, what Occlusion has been building is specifically a primitive for liquid staking to make liquid staking adoption easier. So, you know, in, in most chains that have liquid staking, liquid staking was sort of an afterthought in the sense of, hey, we, uh, we built the system, we had staking, we need to have stake in order to have to drive uh, uh, the, uh, uh, to like secure the consensus layer. Um, maybe there's this desire for have liquid staking on top of it. Um, and then whatever programmability your, 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 your platform uh, enables, you can glue on some liquid staking components on top of that um, and, and do it. I, what I think of is maybe like the occlusion perspective and what I hope to become the Cosmos perspective on liquid staking is liquid staking is not just interesting from an individual staker trying to optimize their returns point of view. It's actually unlocks the dilemma that like was sort of, I think like one of the most clear was very clearly articulated in the original Cosmos white paper, which was, hey, you have this problem, right? Is everyone, everybody likes the idea, of, you know, cryptocurrencies have been uh, uh, very attracted this idea of fixed supply assets, deflationary assets. These are very powerful ideas. But if you have a staking system, you will have other economic use cases for your your stakeable asset. And you will constantly have to be in equilibrium. And the only way to stabilize that equilibrium is to constantly mint an exponentially increasing amount of, of those assets. And if you actually get to a world of large-scale adoption of liquid staking, i.e. everyone, nearly everyone in your staking ecosystem um, is using liquid staking, you basically have created an, a, new, a new security ecosystem, a new security system in, for the chain that no longer requires exponential inflation in order to be maintained to be stabilized. Um, and that's, that's sort of, that's one piece. And so what occlusion has been trying to do is been trying to make adoption within the staking module, because basically if there is a world in which to adopt liquid staking, you have to, you know, wait 21 days, unstake, give up 21 days of rewards. Uh, just the workflow of, oh, I'm a user. I'm going to like click a button on a website, wait 21 days, come back to that website in 21 days, then like adopt liquid staking. Like the, the adoption of liquid staking will take forever. Um, and what Occlusion has been working on um, and is uh, slated to be merged to the default Cosmos SDK staking module is a set of primitives that allow you to um, have like sort of a, a, a layer in which uh, people are able to uh, adopt a liquid staking solution instantaneously through a transaction without having to wait an unbonding period to join the system.
do you want to talk about the expectation that liquid staking is actually going to be carried out by blockchains themselves rather than by centralized providers or interchain accounts and sort of how that how that connects? Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that was that, my next yeah. question, actually. I think there's a there's a real user experience challenge here that we're probably going to end up facing, which is that you'll have these kind of e- ecosystem level liquid staking providers like the ones I mentioned earlier, but then each chain may also opt to do their own, uh, want to capture their, uh, those assets and do their own liquid staking. Then we end up in, in this situation where you have all these assets that essentially represent very similar things, but that aren't fungible. And we already have this problem with USD stable coins, like maybe not so much in Cosmos, but like in Ethereum, there's just like a ton of different USD uh, representative stable coins that aren't fungible. And, you know, for users, it's very hard to reason about like, what are the security models behind those, uh, those coins? So how, how do we solve this without creating like a huge clusterfuck? So I guess a couple of things that are, I think are important. One is, so I think that the fact that we have many USD stable coins is a good thing. It's good for decentralization. It's good for the economy because basically what you want to have for like every, there are multiple categories that naturally occur in, in stable coins, um, optimizing for, you know, different tolerance, risk tolerance on minting mechanisms, uh, different regulatory stances, different, you know, affiliations and brand affiliations associated with your stable coin. Like there's all, there's a very large, like high dimensional space of stablecoin designs. And it's good to actually have market leaders kind of optimizing for each different thing. What we, what I suspect is the case with liquid staking is it is a similar sort of thing where there are, where it is actually like, uh, there's a lot of different dimensions to optimize for, for liquid staking solutions. Um, and the whole point of the occlusion liquid staking module is to make it possible to for people to spin up projects that explore all possible sets of optimizations around creating the, a great liquid staking product um, without specifying specifying or picking a winner, just making life easier and the UX better for all of them. Um, and like I think the optimal outcome for Cosmos is in many ways probably, uh, or at least for Adam, is going to be like, a liquid staking provider that like wins the market as like the permissionless uh, uh, retail oriented decentralized no KYC staking provider. Another staking uh, liquid staking provider is going to hopefully win the like institutional uh, KYC everyone involved like the entire pools KYC uh, uh, model. Like and you know there may be other variables here about how governance works or about. Um, how like liquidity is incentivized in DeFi and like whether or not your interchain secured and whether or not uh, the treasury is helping secure liquidity for your asset or you're an independent sovereign chain and you're using your own governance token um, to incentivize liquidity. There's so many different variables here that I think it's particularly, it's, it's probably a good thing that we have a lot of, that we have a lot of different choices. Just at a higher level, like uh, again, you know, we built we built IBC, general purpose protocol for communicating between blockchains. And IBC allows other blockchains to stake on each other, right? And liquid liquid staking is kind of an inevitability. I mean, you, you can you can you know stick your head in the sand or or, or think you're gonna play um, you know whack-a-mole uh, till the end of time to stop it, but it's uh it it's uh it, it's kind of inevitable and, and, and so you need to you need to account for that. And you know, we're we're moving into a world where ideally more of the liquid staking is going to move from the centralized providers to blockchains themselves that are staking the assets back over IBC onto the hub. 
um, and, and, and the module that, that Occlusion's built that gets deployed on the hub makes it easier for folks to, to sort of take their stake position from the hub uh, and move it onto those liquid staking providers. But it does so in a way that, you know, they're initially non-fungible on the hub, right? So it's just like a, um, you know, a, a, a kind of a, a, a transferable delegation token, but not really a fungible uh, currency by any means that could then get moved into these liquid staking providers, pooled, you know, have the risk managed and and, and so on and made um, made liquid in, in various different ways, according to, you know, different criteria, like, like Zucky was saying. And so having having blockchains themselves play a larger role in, you know, issuing basically, um, you know, a medium of exchange token to circulate within the wider economy that's backed by staked atom uh, is, is kind of the... Um, the, the approach here and, and to build that representation directly into the system, right? Where there are, where there are realities that exist kind of potentially outside the system, you want to represent them a little bit better in the system so that you can manage them and monitor them and, and, and so on. That's also kind of part of the cosmos philosophy is to try to better represent, you know, the reality of the world within the structure of, of the state machines and not just like deny something, you know, that you might not like, or you might think, you know, um, is, uh, you know, has risks or something. You actually try to try to bring it on board and, and manage it um, explicitly. Absolutely. I think I think this is going to be very mind blowing when people see these interchain account applications that are going to come. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's going to be really amazing. Right. And I, one of the powerful things here is, too, is uh, you can build your liquid staking protocol on your own chain and then connect to different Cosmos chain via interchain accounts. And basically, it's just like liquid staking out of the box, which is very different from the way liquid staking solutions have worked so far, where, you know, basically each time for each chain, something is developed, deployed, you know, uh, it's a lot of effort in there. And, and so I think that kind of scaling is going to be like super powerful. People just still probably think of IBC as like some simple token bridging thing, but it's, it's really not. It's a general purpose communication protocol for state machines and with interchain security and interchain accounts and interchain queries. And, you know, a lot of these things that are, that are starting to come online and, you know, we'll start to have like real product usage next year. I think people are really going to wake up to a new a new breed of um, of interoperability that will really, you know, really shake things up and get them to, to kind of really understand where Cosmos is going and, and kind of how 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 far ahead we are in thinking about, you know, in the interchain and, and, and um, inter blockchain communication and so on. Yeah. So that's very exciting. So we've talked about two things so far, right? Interchain security, liquid staking. I think actually both of those things are things where basically like everyone's on board, you know, and, and it's been in work for a while and there's not much like controversy or discussion about it. Maybe there's like, I don't know, some minor things, you know, where, but like overall, right, pretty much consensus. And I think the the white paper basically sort of, you know, describes the state of where we are with that and describes what's coming, what's been in the works. But then there are other things in the white paper, right, that are, I think, very new, uh, very novel. And uh, so let's get into those. I think that's also where most of the discussion has been. So interchain allocator, right, that is something that I think before this white paper, probably hardly anybody's heard of, you know, that wasn't maybe directly involved in, in the creation of this. So w- what is the interchain allocator and what's the idea behind it? Uh, I'll come up with it from my point of view, which is when we started Cosmos, Everybody was like, there was this ongoing, there, you know, the most common critique of Cosmos and the Atom token was the technology stack looks amazing. Like this seems like, and like you have product market fit among builders, like lots of teams like want to build on you. Um, why does the Atom accrue value? And so, you know, even from like the very beginning with, when, you know, Polkadot basically forked the white paper, they were like, okay, we're going to have scarcity and parachain options. That's going to align incentives between like the security layer, the beacon chain layer, and the application layer. Um, 
And my immediate criticism of that idea was, well, no one who is a really great builder is going to pay to join your ecosystem. They're going to like, like sovereign chains will exist. You will be able to build outside of your ecosystem, Like you're not going, you're, you're going to adversely select out the best builders for doing that. And we've constantly struggled with, Hey, like what would make, what overcomes adverse, like how can you align an asset with an ecosystem without uh, introducing adverse selection? And there's a, there's a second problem, which I would say is going on in the Cosmos ecosystem, which is we want to figure out a way of generating revenue for the Cosmos hub um, to pay for the security budget and pay for, you know, the ongoing development and the ongoing R&D and all of this stuff that isn't generally basically like printing new tokens, like that is genuine cash flows. Um, and so as we've seen, um, as sort of DeFi took off over the last two years, we've actually seen that both MEV and um, some forms of yield, like providing liquidity, especially in stablecoin assets, can be, it's reflexive, but like do represent real cash flows um, and not just, you know, people buying speculative assets uh, in the system. Uh, and so the question has been, okay, what we need to be able to do, we think, like the theory, the architecture of growing the Cosmos Hub economy is having the ability to strike deals with builders, with new chains, with new applications to be like, hey, we want to support your application. We want a partnership between Adam and the application. And then we want to leverage that partnership to make sure that Atom holders are getting access to real cash flows that are coming out of your application, whether they are transaction fees, whether they are MEV, whether or not there is a, a source of a true like cash flow positive yield that is coming out of your system. Uh, an example would be like the liquidity between a bunch of different variants of ICS secured staked atom. So if we have a whole bunch of staking derivatives, there are liquidity pools between them. That is actually like source of real yield and real cash flow um, that can be tapped into by Cosmos Hub. In the same way, like if you're originating those staked assets and then doing a, a transaction, providing like best execution as a service uh, via the scheduler is real cash flow. So like the idea is, is this whole thing is one system, but it's basically how do we get access to real cash flow um, within the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, and basically we think that like no other blockchain has ever really tried in a serious way. Probably Ethereum with, with some of their economic changes have probably been the closest to trying to tap into real cash flows as a, as a way of sustaining the security of your blockchain. But I think we all know that like the blockchain space cannot survive if like that is not the frontier of experimentation. And so this has like been like the core motivating factor of the allocator. But the allocator is just a piece of this whole system of trying to get access to real cash flows and the security budget of the customers. Yeah. So, I mean, to add to that, I mean, like, you know, the interchain is obviously going to be way bigger than the Cosmos Hub and, and, and already is. And the hub is, you know, is uh, is positioned well to lead and, and steward the interchain and to help it grow. And we've already seen, you know, th there's always been a question around alignment between the hub and, and, and the rest of the interchain. We've already seen a kind of natural approach um, 
to incentive alignment with with the Cosmos Hub, with the Atom holders, which has been through airdrops, right? And and I sort of like the way Zucky uh, framed it in um, in his in his talk, and and some other times I heard him talk about you know the allocator and, and what's sort of happening there is like. Airdrops are a kind of informal, off-chain, you know, way to to, to do incentive alignment. But uh, we've seen a lot of them. Um, they've obviously, you know, created um, a tremendous amount um, uh, amount of value and and bootstrapping within the ecosystem have been very very powerful ways to do that. And the idea behind the allocator is to actually, you know, formalize that better, build tools around it, make it something that 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 can be arranged kind of more directly to create incentive alignment and and more concrete sort of political economic relationships between. Uh, between different blockchains, again, over IBC using all the native kind of tooling we have, governance functionality, um, IBC functionality, and, and, and other kinds of modules um, to be built to actually, uh, you know, enable the hub to to help grow the whole interchain and, and build something that's, you know, uh, that continues to be much larger, um, much larger than itself, right? So the the hub as sort of being seen as something that helped initiate this thing, that that, that is stewarding this thing, uh, and can remain somewhat incentive aligned with with something that is you know, whose goal is to be much, much bigger than it um, and, uh, and and ultimately ultimately kind of successful on its own. And the allocator is a way to sort of, you know, help con- continue that that process that was sort of bootstrapped with with airdrops, but to become um, more formalized and something that could start to be, you know, reasoned about in more uh, more sophisticated ways and could build out, you know, additional kinds of of, of products and, and, and infrastructure and, and offerings that can help change that are, that are booting up or that are, you know, entering new phases in, in their life cycle or leverage the benefits of, of the hub, you know, to help them sort of go off into this, uh, into this uh, thrashing sea of, uh, of the interchain. One of the things that the paper talks about is um, talks about the structure for funds to be distributed through the allocator. And so, I think this is the thing maybe that was the, the, the least understood. At least I, when I'm reading the white paper, it wasn't clear like how this would work. And I think the thinking around this has also evolved in the last couple of weeks since it was announced. So can you give us an example of like, what, what do you, like when the allocator is deployed and you know there are funds in the treasury and those funds are meant to be effectively allocated, what is this going to look like? Talk about, you know, the, these councils and this community council and, how how is that governance process going to work, and what are the assurances that atom holders have that funds are not going to be misallocated or misspent? Because I think that's been one of the main criticisms of this is the fear of misallocation of funds and and things things like that. Yeah, I mean the goal is to, is to is to be setting up much more mature governance processes, right? Um, and, and that's something we have to do together. That's something that's, that's going to have to be, um, architected between core developers, atom holders, community members, um, you know, people who are, who can oversee, oversee funding. There's a lot of work happening, for instance, um, on the ICF side now to, to restructure things to, you know, we're setting up the TAB, the technical advisory board, we're bringing these, um, we're bringing folks together to try to mature the, the the funding process, and you know we're using new language to describe um, the commitments we make to each other, the promises, how we sort of follow up on things, and and so there's a lot to mature there, and we want to bring a lot of that on chain as well. And the reality is, it's not all entirely um, in, in, entirely spec'd out yet. It's something we have to we have to figure out together over time. And, and to get started, you know, we're the, the proposal is to have some, you know, concrete things we can do that include some limits, include some checks and balances as a way, um, you know, to, to start kicking things off. Right. Because we have this situation with the Cosmos Hub. We have, you know, uh, the, we have a community pool. It's very small in the in the grand 
scheme of um, community pools and there. It has funded a few things um, that have been actually quite successful, but it hasn't it hasn't funded core development. It hasn't funded, uh, you know, it's funded a little bit of core development, but not, you know, not really, um, not really much in the scheme of stuff being developed for the hub. And it hasn't really funded larger, um, larger uh, uh, projects. It's starting to with um, Prop 72 and funding some of these interchain security uh, projects. And that's the sort of kind of success we want, we want to build on and, and, and build structure around. Right. And so the idea with, um, with, um, with the councils and, and the sort of assembly structure and, and, and the new issuance is to kick all that off to actually start having, um, you know, more sophisticated on-chain governance. And, and, and so, you know, the new updates uh, to the white paper have a little bit, uh, especially with the new charter that, that's sort of being drafted, you know, has, has sort of more detail on what those constraints will be and, and, and how governance can start to work in a, in a more sophisticated way. Yeah, maybe just briefly, if, if I can sort of uh, maybe a little bit of a simplistic description that like I would make of this uh, allocator idea is like, right, in the community pool, we have like funded some things, right? There's been some funding for like different chains or different projects, right? But this has been like small, and and also the decision making process like doesn't work so well, right? Like having this, everyone vote on it is, I mean, can work well, but doesn't scale well, and the due diligence is problematic. And then you know you have a proposal, you can just vote yes or no, but like the negotiation doesn't really happen, right? So like the the way I do, I, I feel like a simple way in my eyes to describe is okay. We want to like do this at the largest scale and then also create processes and, you know, decision-making where, yeah, where, you ha- where you're able to make those decisions in a better way at a higher scale, leveraging people's expertise better. I think that's, I think that's basically right. Yeah. One way I've heard this described is as uh, Juno sub DAOs, like similar structure to Juno sub DAOs where uh, the sub DAOs are tasked with allocating um, treasury capital to individual projects. And so we could see a future where there are multiple kind of councils. Um, these are effectively DAOs. These DAOs have some amount of money that they can allocate on projects that is within this DAO's particular expertise, right? So it could be like, there could be a DAO that's funding um, core infrastructure, open source uh, software, a DAO that's funding um, like conferences and maybe there's a DAO that's funding people doing marketing and producing videos. And there could be another DAO that's funding a specific type of, I don't know, like funding DEXs or DeFi protocols or, you know, similarly to see the, the kind of ecosystem of DAOs that we we've seen on Ethereum, but only a lot of the, most of the funding would be coming from, from the treasury and from the allocator. Does that sketch out a little bit of the vision for what this might look like in the future? Yeah, I'll say a couple of things. Like one is on its head, like we want to move more of the bureaucracy, like the process and like essentially the bureaucracy of growing the Cosmos hub, maintaining the Cosmos hub into the Cosmos hub itself. Like this is this, this vision of the Cosmos Hub no longer serves the masters of the ICF and AIB, but it serves it becomes its own master. Um, so that's like one piece. I would like to like a little bit dig a little bit more into like this idea, these ideas that are in the white papers of like allocator DAOs and covenants and stuff like that. Um, because one thing though that we want like the councils to be doing and the um, 
is like one aspect of it is this idea of going out and like um, like essentially running like a strategic initiative or like a long term incentive aligned develop like a growth plan for some application, right? Where you're like, okay, like we're gonna like this is a more complex deal, like we're going to like this much governance token is going to be distributed to stakers. This much governance token for your application is distributed to, uh, uh, to the treasury. Uh, we, you are a scheduler enabled chain, um, like, like organizing and managing like a much more complex deal is something that the like covenant idea sort of floats as like the hub can really do partnerships, right? Like one of the biggest challenges has always been another challenge that Cosmos has is because we are so decentralized like how do you partner with the Cosmos Hub has been like, like people will come to us and be like, hey, we want to do a partnership with Cosmos. And we're like, hi, we don't have a way of doing that. Like there's no one to talk to. Uh, whereas like you could do a partnership with Polygon or you could do a partnership with Avalanche. If we have this mechanism, if we have this council mechanism, there will actually be ideally councils that you go and talk to and be like, hey, like we actually have a procedure for doing this. We can actually structure a long-term economically incentivized alignment with the Cosmos, with the atom holders. So that's one piece. The other piece is, is we do think that a big piece of this stuff is going to be just, uh, you know, an allocation that probably should be small in the beginning, but is just going out to teams to go out and try and, you know, maximize their revenue and maximize their ability to, uh, uh, you know, maximize profit in an aligned way so that there's essentially like a rev share back with the treasury. So you're like, go out. So like, we're going to allocate funds. You're going to, people who participate in those systems are going to have to essentially like bond uh, as like a surety bond, their own liquid staked assets, um, their own liquid stake atoms. Um, uh, you can think of this as a form of like leveraged investing where like um, or like where the Cosmos Hub is essentially like an LP and a fund. Um, these are all like TradFi terms, but like these are this kind of model is a way of actually going out and like doing a little bit more looser, a little less centrally planned um, growth by just picking teams of people um, and, and like encouraging them to go out and find the best way of sort of, in, of, of, of generating value in the ecosystem. Now, again, here, I don't know if there's, I guess there's been some discussions about this, some concerns about this, especially when it comes to, you know, how does this decision-making work and is there accountability and control and like, and I think that's, the to- of course, totally understandable since this is like, it hasn't been done before. I, I think where the most, uh, most discussion has actually been is, in I, I think in, in a few aspects that are like you know related to this allocated dollar thing or but but not exactly it right so one is the question of how it is being funded and two the question of the magnitude of the funding so the in the in the original paper uh, and I think this has been uh, modified a little bit now uh, there was this idea of I think putting. Well, I guess first of all, right? There's some some fundamental economic changes that are also being proposed, right? Where the the amount of atoms that are being issued is going up uh, a lot in the short term, and with most of this money going into the treasury, at least this was the original white paper, and and then it's going down, and basically the staking rewards going down uh, dramatically. And and then in total, right, I think there was something like 56 million atoms, if I remember correctly, that would go into this uh, treasury uh, in the next three years. 
But again, I think there's been, yeah, maybe you guys can talk a little bit about like, you know, what was kind of the idea behind this, uh, the, the thinking behind it, uh, what has the feedback been and what are the modifications that have been made so far? So at a high level, the thinking behind it was, you know, let's correct the position of the hub having a, a pathetic sized treasury in the form of the community pool by, um, you know, by a large mint um, into, uh, into the control of, of the atom holders that would give it a treasury that is, you know, competitive with the largest treasuries in, in, in the market. So that, you know, put a ridiculous number in and, and initiate a conversation about what people think. And that's where, that's where the white paper started. And that was very effective for, you know, actually starting to have that conversation. I will also say that part of the perception was, is if you mint a very conservative amount like one of the goals of the Adam White Paper is to move to a more credible policy around issuance. And if you mint a small amount, no one will perceive that mint as cre- your issuance as credible because they will say, oh, you will, you were just minting a small amount and then you will come back for more. And like, where does this end? Right. And so a big part of the, of the intended messaging or which many, I think a lot of people appreciated, but it's, uh, the optics of around it didn't land maybe as precisely as I was expecting that like the idea was like a large mint over three years. It's just supposed to last you till the end of time, basically. And then uh, uh, and that gets you under the, the basis of a, of, a, of a much more credible monetary policy. The revision is basically realizing where the communication around the intent of this went wrong and basically saying, okay, so like it turns out that like from my point of view, atoms that sit in the in the custody of atom holders and are the same thing as atoms that are not minted that could be minted by atom holders. But I think we've gotten from conversations with lots of people in uh, various, in the forums and various chats that like there's a significant subset of the population of atom holders who view these things really differently. Um, so like atoms that don't exist, don't exist. And atoms that are minted that they, that are held by atom holders do exist in some sort of, conceptual way and there's a big difference between these things so it's great like it doesn't matter like we can just we we, we introduce the tranching concept the tranching concept implements the, the kinds of controls that we always anticipated being in the charter we never anticipated you know a deployment of uh 50 million atoms into the into the economy anytime soon but you know like we we we, we learn from the uh from how people interact with the communication and i think um, the charter and the um, updates to the white paper now more clearly communicate the intent. We're getting to the same point, which is communicating to the market that Adams are intending to move to a more credible, lower rate of issuance. Um, and that like we have, we have sort of upper bounded the expected issuance in a way that the market can then uh, set expectations. around. Yeah. I mean, I, I, at least in my eyes, you know, kind of, I mean, Bucky's himself, right. Okay. The community pool has been kind of like, you know, very small. And, and I think that was one of the maybe mistakes in my eyes that was made when the, I, I think in general, like the atom economics in my view, when Cosmos was launched was really good uh, and has worked very well. I, and I, but I do feel there was one thing that should have been done differently, which is I think the community pool should have been larger. And and I think if there had been a much larger community pool, then I think they they would probably also have happened earlier, right? That there's some organizations that are like, oh, how do we use this now effectively? So I also feel like here, okay, like the obvious thing would just be like, okay, it makes sense that more money is deployed and there's like ideas for how to do it and structure to be built. So why not just, I don't know, 
like you know, I was writing streets. Like, why not? Why not just put the community pool at the moment? Two percent of inflation is going there. Put that to twenty percent, uh, which I think would be much easier to for everyone to understand to accept. It's like okay, it's also easier for like let's say stakers. Okay, now my staking reward is going down by twenty percent, but it's going there, which kind of makes sense. Like so. Yeah, I'm curious, like, why not this path? And maybe talk a, bit, a little bit about, like, the, the, the logic behind this monetary changes that, you know, going beyond just funding the, the allocator, right? Because that's one thing, but that's, that's not the only thing that's happening here. Yeah, I mean, you know, what we're, what we're not trying to do is make a few little tweaks um, to the Cosmos Hub to just, like, move forward a little bit right and and sure there's lots of little tweaks you could do you could you could tweak the community pool you could you know make some small proposals for for, for this or that what we wanted to do was come out with a material upgrade to the hub's uh, political economy to set it up for this new this new phase of the cosmos project the integration phase right where the hub is going to be you know a steward and a leader within this wider interchain and is going to support the growth of that interchain and and, and is going to work towards being able to you know actually make a, a meaningful intervention into the um, into the global monetary system in the long term i mean that's that, that that's kind of the goal this all is more sustainable monetary and, and financial system right um and so sure we could we could tweak uh we could tweak some small things but we wanted to have a, a more material upgrade of the governance structure of the sophistication of, of decision making and you know that was the idea behind uh, behind putting forward the treasury and so you know if you just minted stuff into the community pool and, and kind of didn't do anything else then you're still sort of leaving it up to okay well someone has to come along and build organizational structure and figure out all these things and so we wanted to kind of put those more together and say look uh, okay, maybe minting you know fifty million atoms into into one undefined spot over the course of um, three years is excessive. Fine, you know that's great. Let's keep talking about uh, about what to do. Um, I think there there's general alignment that there needs to be more sophisticated on on chain governance, and that's um, that's really what the treasury proposal is all about. And then it's more a question of actually how we kick this thing off, right? And so and so the new proposal is that okay, rather than just some consistent issuance into the treasury, you know, over three years, it'll be broken up into tranches. It's up to atom holders. Um, to vote to have those tranches actually enter uh, the treasury pool. Maybe one idea, would, would, which would be, um, which would sort of be, you know, a compromise between all these things that would actually maybe help kick things off a, a little better, is to have the first tranche go into the community pool, right? And that might be able to allow things to get started more quickly, right? And so the first tranche, you know, ends up in the community pool. And now we have a community pool of say, you know, four or five million atoms. Uh, but but future tranches are minted into the treasury, and the idea is that gives the community pool the initial kind of runway to get make sure the treasury is set up in a way that it's comfortable minting into the treasury, right? Because the whole point of the treasury is that we set up more sophisticated governance structure to actually oversee um, to oversee funding and, 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 and so on. Right. So, you know, something like that, I think, I think would make a lot of sense, but just tweaking the, the community pool tax, I don't, I don't think is, is, is sufficient because that doesn't say enough about the actual, you know, larger scale uh, governance changes we need to actually set up more sophisticated decision-making coordination and, and, and so on. Totally. I mean, I, I I do recognize that I think those governance changes are needed, right? I I think my the way I I could have or would imagine that was more like okay, you know, the community pool is increased, and then there's a proposal, right, to the community pool saying like, hey, now I don't know, there's five million atoms in this community pool. Now let's move like I don't know, two and a half million atoms to this you know governance structure control that that can then maybe align with like exactly what's described which i think would also give a sense of like adam holders still feel like in control right because they will have to vote on like the money being moved from the community pool there and it goes through this familiar process that that people know yeah so i think i think what i would be proposing is that 
the structure is that the initial tranche goes into the community pool and we can do that you know as soon as we can get an upgrade to have the community pool mint and, but the the commitment is that future tranches are going to go into the treasury but it's the it's the atom holders that vote they ha- actually have to pass a vote for those tranches to get unlocked right so the first tranche goes into the community pool uh, the community pool existing governance, you know, has to deploy it to get the treasury built and they have to deploy it to get the treasury built in a way that they will be comfortable with future tranches being minted directly into the treasury. And then, of course, there will be, you know, and, and as per the charter, there are ways for atom holders to get funds to flow back from the treasury into the community pool, into the distribution module and so on. But that way we sort of, you know, set things up with the expectations that, like, OK, we start out of the community pool, community pool funds, the creation of um, of, of the, the, the treasury system and then future tranches go into the treasury, but require, you know, an atom holder vote to actually um, to actually create them in that way. You know, beyond the first tranche, there's nothing else created, but there is, you know, the the, the sort of commitment that that future things can be created by the atom holders in this in this somewhat predictable uh, kind of set way. I think that would be a really nice uh, kind of balancing of all the interests and would give the atom holders control, complete control over the initiation of this thing, uh, but would but would be a, a credible commitment to moving towards a new system, you know, that they actually have to take responsibility for. Uh, funding the development of, you know, upfront. And that way we, we kind of balance all the, the, the interests, I think, quite nicely. Okay, but that, like, this sounds reasonable. What this doesn't answer, though, is the, the, this, uh, this idea of, like, you know, decreasing the issuance in this way that's proposed in the white paper, right, where it basically goes up and then goes down a lot um, over three years and then, and then basically goes to a, to a sort of, like, mi- minimal issuance. Okay, so uh, this, this is a separate question, right? Is the, the, the question of issuance to stakers, right? And, and you know, right now, you know, the, the reason the issuance is the way it is, is you know, with this exponential thing, is, is to balance this tension between security and liquidity in the, in the token, right? So you need some amount staked. And so to ensure that there's some, um, you know, some high amount staked, we have this exponential, exponential issuance model that, that adjusts to sort of, you know, ensure that, um, that staking stays around, um, around two thirds. But... With liquid staking and, um, you know, the, those dynamics start to change. And what we don't want is just exponential issuance um, forever because that's, you know, it's un- un- unstable for various reasons. Ideally, ideally, the, you know, the compensation for security is actually coming out of the, the compensation for the security provided by staked atoms is coming out of the things that are being secured. It's not just coming out of, you know, unsustainable it, it, uh, sort of infinite exponential issuance, right? And so the, the idea is that the drop-off in issuance is more than compensated for by, uh, you know, proceeds from interchain security and the scheduler and the allocator and, and all these sort of things. What is perhaps missing is a way to more directly tie those things together, right? So, you know, maybe in, in, in some ideal world, it's like, well, the issuance drops off in a way that is directly compensated by, uh, you know, new flows from interchain security and, and, and so on. And if it's, you know, if it's not, well, then there's a risk because, if, 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 you know, if stakers make a commitment today to say, okay, lower issuance, great, you know, take the money out of our pocket. Um, but we don't, you know, interchain security is not live yet. We don't know how, you know, so, so that's the kind of thing we have to, we have to navigate now. And the, uh, you know, actually building out a system where the issuance drop off is, you know, commensurable to the new value flows kind of directly and mechanistically is, 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 is quite complicated. And, you know, so we didn't, um, we didn't propose doing that, but there's still quite a few levers that atom stakers can, um, uh, can control on how this is going to happen, on when the issuance drop off will start, on on their ability to actually um, you know take funds out of the treasury and redirect them back to the distribution module to compensate. Uh, there's also the matter of if um, 
if uh, if there's not enough issuance and people unstake, then once staking drops below the two thirds target, then then the exponential issuance kicks in again, right? So, the, so there's a few different ways, there are a few different levers to kind of navigate this thing, and I don't think we have um, you know the full picture, the exact. Uh, mechanics here, but there's a number of things that, that can make this work to, to allow the whole system to move towards a world where the compensation for security is actually coming from the system being secured rather than just from exponential issuance. And that's sort of the overall goal we're, we're working towards, which I think is, you know, um, sound and, and, and necessary. And the question are, you know, the details on how we get there. There's a collective focus of the mind that is required to get to among many different stakeholders in the Cosmos ecosystem and in the Cosmos app itself if we really want to get to a world where we are securing the system via cash flows, like I think the, like the cash flow, the, the cash flows appear to be out there. Like there seems to be enough desire to build stuff on top of the cosmos hub on top of interchain security that like we could plausibly get the cash flows. Like MEV is plausibly large enough, um, you know, as an across the blockchain space. Like there are enough new assets coming in, there are enough things that could that could potentially generate the amount of liquidity. So if we believe, if we attempt to go for an exponential growth of the Cosmos ecosystem, which you know a lot of sort of you know investors in the blockchain space are thinking is a very large possibility, and like hundreds of millions of dollars of capital have been committed to uh, uh, this as a thesis. If we believe in that as the Cosmos Hub and we sort of uh, uh, focus the minds of Cosmos Hub stakeholders on saying, hey, like this is a really important opportunity to make sure that we capture those cash flows into the Cosmos Hub, we end up, we can end up in a really strong position around Atom as an asset that then like is the driving force for this change in the political economy rather than just another altcoin. Yeah, one of the things that struck me here is, you know, there's a question that no one's asking here. And I mean, like, these are these are great ideas. And I think there are, it's great that we're debating them. And it's great that there's a conversation happening in the ecosystem. But, you know, the, the, questions no one, the question no one is asking is, what if atom holders are not to, up to the task? What, what if this doesn't work? Like, what if we decide that, hey, like we need to relinquish control of that, like the ICF and sort of these organizations need to relinquish control of the hub to the atom holders. But the, in fact, the, in fact, the atom holders are just not up to that task and fail miserably at, at doing this thing, right, that we're, that we're talking about here. Have you guys given any thought to that at all? I think a lot about that. I, and I have a very straightforward opinion on it, which is, we always built Cosmos as a way that could succeed in like the Cosmos ideas could succeed without Adam succeeding. Right. And that is a little bit of, that is a, a big part of the core goal and the vision is like, we should take, we should take bigger risks with Adam because Cosmos as the bigger idea, the interchain as the bigger ecosystem um, is not somehow solely dependent on the success of Adam. And so therefore Adam should, should take higher, should take a whole bunch of risk, try to become something truly amazing, potentially fail, um, knowing that the uh, core ecosystem that we've constructed, the, you know, Evbos, Osmosis, Juno, Agoric, and like beyond, you know, Penumbra and, and Noma and beyond are all independent locuses of power and energy 
um, and are all going to be running parallel experiments. And so if the atom experiment does not, does not succeed, um, all of these other experiments might plausibly succeed. I certainly, uh, this is certainly Adam's curse, right? Uh, blessing and curse is that um, it created this thing that, it's, that, uh, that doesn't actually need it to potentially succeed. Now, I believe that, that, that Cosmos, the interchain, um, you know, will be, have much more uh, probability of success with a strong, um, a strong chain committed to upholding the values of the wider interchain, the way, the way the Cosmos hub is that that's positioned to be, you know, a, a sort of long-term chain that that's stable and, 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 and simple and follows the kinds of principles that we're laying out for its development using interchain security to extend functionality um, and so on. So the idea isn't to go and take, you know, some, some crazy, uh, some crazy risk with, with the hub or, 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 or with the atom, but that's not to say that the system can't evolve and that it can't evolve in bold ways. Right. And, and that's what we're proposing is a bold way for the, for the system to evolve, not of course, to set it up for failure, but if anything, to set it up for, um, for success in this new role in, in sort of leading and stewarding the interchain. And, you know, like any endeavor, of course, um, of course it might not succeed or it might not succeed, you know, the way, the, the way we expect when it comes down to, you know, this, this problem of are the atom holders up, up to it. Right. And, and, and people talk about, you know, decentralized governance and, and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, this is something we think about a lot. And, and, you know, from my experience, the thing that matters uh, very significantly is building sound organizational structure. Right. Um, and, you know, people like to throw DAOs out and say, oh, we'll just have decentralized governance and, you know, and everything will work and you know, pay a bunch of lip service to decentralization. And, you know, that's not that's not a real thing. That's not how we're going to actually, uh, you know, materially move move the bar on uh, on decentralized governance. Um, and, and what's interesting about the position the Cosmos Hub is in, you know, kind of uniquely in the world, certainly in the world of in the world of blockchains is the level of decentralization around the core uh, the core development group and the, the requirement that they actually figure out how to how to coordinate and work together to build this thing and build the organizational structure and the institutional structures um, and, and to do it all. And so it's not just like, well, throw it all up to the atom holders and, and, you know, let them figure it all out without any kind of support or institution building. The entire exercise here is to actually construct political economic institutions that can carry this thing forward. And 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 it seems like we're doing it in a sort of deliberate um, and, and, you know, constructive and thoughtful way. Uh, almost unlike anything else, anything else we're seeing out there, right? We're really trying to drill in on the structure of these things, on how you set up uh, good governance, on the language you need to use to facilitate that. You know, uh, I like to promote this, what we call the workflow language. Zaki thinks it's a cult. It might be, but, you know, every successful thing is a cult. So <laughs> at some point in its in its life, but but the point is to actually be very deliberate and not just not just throw things up to decentralized governance, but actually to construct, you know, organizational structure and, 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 and institutions that can support this thing for the long term. And that's something, you know, we focused on quite a bit at Informal and something we're, you know, we're, we're, we're building out in the, in the wider ecosystem to get all these organizations to work together because it's not just about some ephemeral cloud of atom holders. It's also about the, the individual people that they are that are working together to do concrete things and the conversations they have and, you know, the commitments they make to each other. And so actually, you know, deliberately trying to surface, surface all that and, and talk about it and cut through the awkwardness of, you know, making promises and, and, and commitments to deliver and following up on, on all these workflows is super important and is how we're focused on making this whole thing a success in a way that's, you know, quite different from, from, from basically every other, um, every other ecosystem and, and, and chain out there. Let's move on to the interchain scheduler, which is the, uh, the other part here. And, um, you know, just to give a high level of the interchain scheduler, as I understand it. So the interchain scheduler is a mechanism by which actors in the ecosystem are going to be able to bid on uh, block space. So validators will be able to auction off their block space to market participants 
Uh, so it's effectively a block fi- block space futures market or a mechanism that allows this market it's to a emerge. Future block space market. Future block space market, not a block space futures market. And so this this would effectively allow market participants to buy up that block space, probably uh, do some uh, some sort of block ordering or like uh, block construction, block building work, and and reap the rewards of that of that MEV work. So can you explain here what's the what is the motivation behind the scheduler and why does it need to be something that the Cosmos hub delivers as a, as functionality? And the reason why I ask that is I've talked to some folks who either directly or indirectly have told me that 